this is actually, you know, we obviously looking and, and doing some research about you. I mean, we obviously want this podcast as we always have, um, you know, to be ma meaningful conversations, but I actually was reading through um, some of your quotes and, you know, some of the snippets of the work that you have done from, um, I guess, you know, your, the ordeal and your, the life to get you to where you are today. And it's really quite astounding. So number one, commending you for having the courage and the bravery to come out on the other side stronger and now doing work that is um, quite literally life changing, uh, not just for yourself, but those who are um, in your realm and who can be impacted by your story. So I always like to ask, you know, like, let's start from the beginning, right? How did you get to this point today where you're literally educating on what it means? I mean, I wanted to cite one of your quotes, which really took me, I'm a former teacher. So the fact that you're a professor um, is really um, powerful. And I, and I see the, the connection. Um, but there is a quote on your website that made me do like, you know, a double take. To us, American values seems universal and unpeachable. Democracy, fair play, and hard work. We wonder how anyone cannot hungrily embrace such ambitious, such obvious virtues, but to, but to a poor, forgotten person in a ravaged country, the simple helping hand and moral guidance of a caring mentor can prove far more persuasive. That is literally like my mantra, mm -hmm. what we try to aspire to uh, through the work we do, because it's funny, you mentioned, you know, we're fashion and beauty, but at the same time, uh, we recognize the power that a fashion publication can have uh, in the lives of others. And especially being a mentor to others, we are actually, we just finished a round last year of mentoring a young girl uh, from, you know, a, um, an organization called Power Play, which is just from uh, a needy community here in New York. But I find that to be so powerful. What can you share with us um, just to get us going in this conversation? Because I'm just like in awe of what <laughs> you've been able to accomplish with your life, you know? Um, it's really inspiring. So I really, truly commend you for that. Thank you. You nearly brought me to tears. Um, <laughs> that was so very kind of you and, and that you really read some of my work and, and, and what I said. Um, and a lot of my work is inspired by my own experience. And I'm gonna start there and then we can develop other conversations and questions yeah. out there. Um, but I was born hated as a Bosnian Muslim um, in this country, as both of you know, uh, skin color uh, is the rationale for many people to feel hatred towards someone else and other. In my old country in former Yugoslavia, it was ethnic belonging or religion. So um, I, as a Bosnian Muslim, knew I was discriminated against. I was a very nerdy kid. Um, I do have to say I always loved fashion. So I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. And sometimes fashion can make a statement as well. And, and we, can, we can get to that too. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in a system where I never once read a story about a Muslim girl. I never solved a math problem with a Muslim child's name in it and um if anyone looked for it i did um and uh, by the time i was 16 i found myself surviving a genocide i did not imagine that i knew i was discriminated against but i 
could not imagine that a military that was once upon a time, a military of my own country, um, would be dominated by one ethnic group that would decide that they would simply execute all of us for who we are. And um, that is really where my true journey started. And one of the things I realized during those years is that um, I couldn't rely on someone else to save me. I couldn't rely on the United Nations and the United States of America. We were forgotten. We were being killed every day. I starved for nearly four years. Um, it was this past weekend was my birthday and my home was bombed on my birthday. Uh, luckily we were injured, but luckily we survived. Uh, but my mother, who was also a teacher, lost her hearing. And during that time, I became a teacher actually, um, given that I was this nerdy, um, ambitious kid, I was asked to help others. Um, and um, I was 17, 18, when I was walking into the classroom for the first time under the bombs, starved, without access to the outside world, with no electricity, um, no way to, to contact the outside world. Um, and I had to be an inspiration for someone else. And that is the moment where one decides what your trajectory in life will be. And I thought, I, I have to be very honest, I really didn't think I would survive. And so to me, knowing that I would die, um, there, there is a moment of sort of truth with yourself and conversation with yourself where you realize, well, I will die. And really the, the question for me is, will I die being raped uh, in a rape camp or will I die being blown up? Um, and if my time is limited, I want to make a difference for as long as I can. And I think it's, it's a question that probably many people are asking themselves today in the United States with the pandemic, with the social unrest, racism and hatred, the nothering that is really percolating in all these conversations. And I've been on the receiving end of some of that simply for writing my life story as a Bosnian Muslim. I've been on social media attacked by people for saying that I have the right to speak. Yeah. And um, I think those kinds of extreme experiences where you're so near death um, push you to question who is it that you want to be. And I made the decision back then that I couldn't stop people from hating me. I couldn't end the genocide. I couldn't save the people who were stolen from me, really. My friends, family members who were blown up uh, before me. But I could make myself the best version of myself. Uh, which is why I taught, which is why I engaged in um, actually working on immunizing children under the military siege when we could. I would travel to the front lines and look for kids um, along with local doctors to try to save them. And um, towards the end of the war, um, two psychologists came into my besieged city to see what was happening in my town and what was the state of the schools and children in terms of mental and physical health and they asked me, do you want to study in the United States of America? Because one of my teachers at the time said, look, we're going to die here. You're not going to save everyone, but at least save Amr. She's a, she's a nerdy kid, then she'll do well. Maybe you can save her life. They came back to New York City to a board meeting of a large organization called International Rescue Committee that does a lot of work internationally. And during the board meeting, one of the board members stood up and said, is there a life I can save? And I was that life. Um, and he made it his mission to bring me here. And so I came into the US on January 17, 1996. 
I was 16 I, in 1992 when the war started. By, uh, by the time I got here, I was 20. I was a broken person. Um, I was terrified um, of men in uniforms, all these immigration officers that were standing around. Um, to me, men in uniforms meant rape and killing. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you one detail. When I got to the actual immigration window to enter the United States for the very first time, the immigration officer was looking at my documents for a very long time. And after, after examining all the paperwork, probably triple checking, he gave it back to me. I thought he would say, go back to your decimated country. Instead, he said, ma'am, welcome to the United States of America. I'm sorry for what happened to you. You're safe now. And to me, that's the America I want to be a part of. That's the America I want to speak for. I, that's the America that I want to encourage through my work, through, my, through the cat I never named, the, the story of my life. Um, but that is the America that I want to advocate for because I don't think silence saves anyone. And I learned that the hard way. Wow. It's, um, I'm trying to hold back to you I know. <laughs> because I, I, am an, I am an immigrant myself and I, I am married to an American citizen and um, by no means have I endured, um, you know, what you have in your lifetime because we, that's the first thing we do, right, is try to compare our experiences and, uh, but I can feel uh, pain points, right, as you're speaking, especially because what I can feel the most is what we're all living currently, right? I actually want, um, you know, in reading your biography, I I said out loud uh, earlier, I was like, how do you, the how the hell does anybody survive ethnic cleansing? Like that to me, to even speak that out loud in 2020 seems, seems unreal. Uh, unreal. I'm like, you hear that ab yeah. about that in movies, you don't hear, really hear about that like in real life, like it's actually happening. And to be speaking to you is just a testament of hope and grace, which um, not everyone has been uh, blessed with and fortunate, but you, you did and you decided to do something extremely powerful with the opportunity that had been given to you. I say this because I want to reference, and I'm not going, I'm not here to mention the network or who said it or whatnot, but I was very distraught um, over this past weekend, you know, with the election. It's the world, it's the America we're currently living in. And on a major network and a platform on TV, a sign came up saying um, that this group was coming for Blacks, Indians, um, coming for Blacks, Indians, first welcome to the new world order. When, when you hear something like that, and these are things that are actually happening today, this happened this past weekend in Washington, where do we go from there? Because it seems like while I was shocked to read what I read of what you have endured, similar instances or the hatred is happening today. Where do we go from here? Like, how do we, and I don't know that you have the answer, but it's, it's just like we're living in these parallel universe in the same country where you're saying when you heard the words, welcome to the United States of America, I heard it too when I came to live here, yet there is this otherization, there is this 
group of people that still would want to maintain borders, create division. I just, I don't understand it. So are we living in like alternate universes? Like, did we not drink the same Kool-Aid? I don't even know like what it is, but obviously something is there. You, you just elaborated on, on the ideas and the fears that compelled me to write the cat that I ever named. Um, and I'll tell you a specific conversation that triggered it uh, with my then third grader, younger daughter, Dina, who is an amazing little gifted girl. She loves science. She just got a few new fish and crabs that we built aquarium for her during this pandemic. So she has some friends at least around her all the time. And um, this, um, from my perspective as a biased parent, this perfect kid came from school one day and said to me, mom, what will happen to me and Jana, her older sister, if um, you and dad are rounded up as Muslims and taken away, will we live alone? And this is a child that was raised and educated in the United States, in New York City. I of said, all the same question when... Of, of the, all places. So I, I understand it. <laughs> and for me, um, as someone who has seen this happen and played this out in another lifetime, it seemed, it was a moment that jolted me, that woke me up. Here I was, an academic and researcher and a professor at Columbia, um, often told by my students, you are so inspirational when you share some of your stories. Will you ever write about them? And my answer was always, I'll leave it for some time later on when I have more time to focus on it. And conversation with Dina really uh, is the moment that compelled me um, to almost in panic, yeah. Uh, feel that I need to sit down and write the story because it will play out in the United States of America. And this was obviously a couple of years ago. I did not know that we would be in that precise moment as my book comes out. And so I will tell you that so many parents have written it to me because my book in so many ways is touching on all of the issues of politics, othering, discrimination, fear of the other, violence, um, and how far hatred can truly go and how much we can be dehumanized um, through narratives of hatred. Um, but it is not the directly preaching in a sense that I am not telling people don't hate. I'm just telling you, here's my story. Yeah. And you make the judgment who you want to be in as an American or as, or as a citizen of the world. And um, so many parents have written to me to say, I read a few pages of your book because my teen heard about your amazing story and I just wanted to know what is the story, why they're reading it, why is it relevant to them? And here I am, one father wrote to me it, at 5.27 a.m. Uh, and started an email by saying, yes, I'm another one who binged Reddit because I've been talking <laughs> in a lot of my um, interviews that this is the feedback I'm getting from a lot of Americans today who are saying, your story changed me because I got to feel. I didn't only read the story. It's not a book. It was an experience. And um, to be very honest with you, I didn't have in my mindset uh, um, any kind of expectation in terms of how the book would be received. It has earned at this point six 
start reviews, which is a record of sorts from what I understand from the book critics and literary world. I didn't even know that, that I didn't have an expectation to receive one. I just wanted to uh, paint the scenery, uh, portray the feelings and um, really make a reader feel the hatred I felt and understand how consequential that hatred is in hope that that will create some, some kind of connective tissue between us to say that, look, politics aside, this country has gone too far. It is. It's yes. gone too far. It is one thing, um, and I always invite different opinions in my classrooms at Columbia and say, I really don't care what students, where students stand in terms of the political spectrum. We can discuss and debate policies, we can argue the facts, but there is one danger that I am seeing in this world, and that is this blindness when it comes to hatred. And that is what I saw just before the war in, um, in Bosnia. And I have to admit, I didn't believe it would happen. Um, I didn't think it was possible. It's, it's, and, and to your point about your daughter coming to you, uh, you know, and again, it, that shook me to my core when my son, for whatever reason, thought that I could be sent back home or, and again, educated, has, you know, he's an American citizen. My husband's an American citizen. So there was never a, in his world, I, I guess, you know, a possibility of thinking that that could be possible. However, what he has, you know, they have both been um, bombarded through, whether indirectly or directly through the news, the conversations that are happening when we're not present with other kids in school, you know, because it trickles down, you know, I, I, I always say, and I think that that was the biggest lesson that I learned when I was a teacher was that you think they're not watching and they're listening. They total, they're plugged in even more so than we are and are more tuned in to that human aspect um, that does connect us all. That's why children are like that. Children are here to teach us all lessons that, that we never even knew that we could learn, right? As an, as a, cause we think we know it all. Um, but the reality is, um, you know, you said something very poignant there too, where is, you know, to create in a way some sort of connective tissue, because at the end of the day, uh, you, if I were to look at you uh, just, you know, as you are with your physicality does not resemble what the image of a Muslim that we have been, you know, fed right through in the media or that have been portrayed as this other uh, demonized, et cetera. Um, I don't want to get too much into that because I've just, I see a person, right? But there has just been this um, projection of what Muslims represent that is quite frankly, just sad, unnecessary. And here we are having this conversation, trying to carry, you know, what we would hope is um, a message of hope and change and understanding that at the end of the day, it's like, I, I, I just don't, and, it, and I guess it has to do with life experiences, as you've mentioned, you know, that has put us in this place where we can just see the other person and just say, I see you for who you are, period, as the person that you are. And I would judge you by your character, not by your physicality or your gender or your beliefs. Um, and it's just so disheartening that 
that's where we are. The hatred that is rampant and existent and it's felt, um, that's where we are. Unfortunately, we are. We are there. I, um, I've carried the target on my back for being Muslim since as I, as I started by saying since I, I was born um, and it's, it's something new in my life has always been thrown at me for who I am. And there is a responsibility in owning that identity. I could have um, tried to take on, and, and um, as you will read in, in my book, The Cat I Never Named, there's a moment where my, in fact, there was, I had the Take me, um, uh, take me out of uh, my hometown of Bihaj before it was besieged, but a requirement uh, that was uh, presented to me by um, uh, that extended family in Bel Belgrade was that I had to take on a different identity, that I had to become a Serb girl if I, um, if I even had a chance to, to get to Belgrade and escape being executed. So that awareness that you are here 16 years old and you told that somehow you're not good enough simply for who you are, and that your only chance of survival is to disown that identity is extremely painful. And I don't wish that upon anyone, not even those who committed the genocide against me, to ever have that feeling of rejection. And I do uh, feel for, for your son and, and anyone, any teen in this country who um, shares that sentiment. And I often get the comment, oh, you don't look like a Muslim, which in itself essentially reflects that this is, uh, this idea of who a Muslim is has penetrated so many spaces in schools, in media, um, that one is almost unable to see any kind of diversity within 2 billion Muslims yeah. around the world. And that clearly is an issue. It's an issue that we need to address in education. I am the only full-time uh, full faculty member at uh, Columbia's Graduate School of Education, Health and Psychology, who is a Muslim. Wow. And that speaks volumes. It also um, is a great deal of responsibility um, because I have students from all over the world who meet me and some of them for the first time encounter someone who is a Muslim. And often they come in with, with the sort of perceived or, or preconceived notions, notion of who I will be, what yeah. will I say, what will I think. And, and aside from teaching whatever the content of my courses is, I am teaching so much more in that environment and hope that I do have magnifying effect because some of my students are, as graduate students in education, they have influence in schools around the world, universities, ministries of education. And um, so I do have to say, it's a great deal of responsibility of being that one person who is constantly engaging in this education where, wherever I am. And I, I do have to say that I, I'm grateful for what you said early on, that though you are a website that is engaging in, in seemingly more entertaining and lighter topics, that you are using it as an avenue to bring in real awareness on real issues that we have to, uh, we have to discuss with, with um, your readership, your audience, because it's important. It's going to make a, make a difference in what this country is like in the years to come. 
Now you're really going to make me cry. <laughs> but the reality is, is and, and you said it several times, um, you know, and I think that that's just something that you're schooled with in education is you have a responsibility to just, uh, it isn't about you and it's definitely bigger than you and any one person. Um, and it's to kind of carry that torch of uh, helping your children, you know, your, not just your children, but your students to uh, question and, um, and, and to really realize that they're not on this lone island. Like, you know, there are other people and we need to, again, see each other for who we are. Um, and I learned that very early on in my teaching career it was just to, you know, to teach compassion, to teach empathy, to place yourself in another person's shoes that just because, you know, you come here and have it all figured out, the person sitting right next to you quite literally doesn't and you can be you know and we we were I was taught that in high school I just went to a different type of school that encouraged us to volunteer to um, you know go to the poor areas of our country to really learn how we we as a country lived so that we could understand that how fortunate we were to have three meals a day, you know? And, and when you come here to something that is bigger, broader, and I guess that is what shocks me is that the fundamentals of this nation are freedom, liberty for all, yet we're putting tabs and keeping receipts of, you know, about who, what, when, where, um, as long as it, you know, and if it doesn't look like me or if it doesn't sound like me, then it isn't me. So therefore I'm gonna categorize and put you there in this box. So I appreciate, you know, the acknowledgement of, of just knowing, you know, and I've said that from the moment that, um, you know, Bella took on this new direction, cause I took it over last year, uh, was to bring that seed of education because there is a responsibility that we all have whether we want to acknowledge it or not, to just make leave this world better, if not for future generations, you know, it's for. I look at it, you know, I want to leave my kids with a, a, a world that is better than, um, you know, I grew up in, and that was a tough one. So I can't imagine, you know, again, having been through what you've been through, um, you know, just having just the the compassion and empathy to now sit here and share because that in itself is the acknowledgement of the responsibility that you do have to share your story and you and you get that um so to hear you also point out that you're the only muslim faculty member of you know one of the bigger schools of education here it's just really shocking to me that we're preaching words but then when it comes to the actions you know we still have so much more work to do um to that end, what would you like, uh, if you know, if it's anything that you haven't shared yet, is when people do sit down with your book, uh, for them to really take away, like the one, if there's one takeaway, what would you say that is? Never give up, even when everybody else seems to give up on you, I think would be my message. I think a surprise for those who may look at the book and I have it behind me, but I'll share it with you here. Um, and you can see I loved fashion because I dyed my hair as a form of resistance red <laughs> in the war. And in fact, um, um, it's a story in itself how I obtained the red hair dye in the midst of the war. So I'll let you find out in the book oh itself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think um, often when people sort of read the official description of the book as a story for genocide survivor, a Muslim girl. 
um, given the Islamophobia, given all of these biases, there is a, a certain um, uh, image or expectation what the story will be. And the story is nothing like those expectations. Um, and um, it is filled with a lot of love, um, different kinds of love that I encountered during the war. There is a, um, in fact, a, a kitty or a cat that I honor with the title, uh, the cat I never named. Who, um, she, in Bosnian we say Mati, which means kitty. Mati came into my hometown with um, refugees just before our city was besieged by the Serb army. And we didn't want her, um, I have to be honest with that, because we had no food, we knew something bad is going to happen, we didn't know how bad it was going to be. Um, and my family didn't want to have a responsibility for another living being, but she didn't care. She adopted herself into her family, and on the very first day of bombing, um, June 12, 1992, um, she saved my and my brother's life. Oh my so. God. My story would have ended on the very first day of the war. There would be no story to tell, and no professor at Columbia University, no the cat I never named, if it were not for her quite literally saving our lives. And um, there's beauty and magic in the relationship with her as a pet during the war, because I realized that I was worthy of love. And... Um, in ways that I couldn't get love from real humans at the time who hated me, I was able to, in a way, um, feel human and cared for by an animal more than, than, than humans who once upon a time were even members of my family, like my uncle who, uh, who was a high ranking officer in the Serb army that I had mentioned. Um, and I also do fall in love for the first time during the war um, where um, I decided that if I were going to die, um, at least I will kiss a boy. Yeah. And so there's, there's this element of growing up um, in the midst of the genocide that I think uh, many people, young people and adults will be able to relate to, that they will find in many ways inspirational. And so I do hope, and I tell everyone who asks me about the book that I do hope it provides a sense of strength and resilience and hope. Um, and in times like this, uh, we can't give up. I know that it's hard. I, I get hate emails and messages from I white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I don't even, I didn't even write a book about it. Like I, I get the truth, so I understand. <laughs> so, so you know that it never feels good. It oh. never feels good that if you're simply preaching um, um, to people or hoping to, to deliver a message that we need to counter hate, that someone still feels compelled enough to, um, to write something awful. But it does happen. Um, however, I would say the vast majority of people who have reached out to me have said, I knew nothing about Bosnian Muslims. I knew nothing about this genocide but I am in love with the story, with the book, with the power of the story, and I want every family member to read it because it's important. And, um, and I hope that, that your audience um, reads it, and I do hope that they reach out to me. I started using social media in the <laughs> pandemic. I was not before. Well, that, was, that was gonna be my next question is, you know, where can people find you? How can people connect with you? How can people get the book? Please share. 
So every, virtually every major retailer in the United States has it. The book is actually available worldwide. Um, and uh, if they're having, all they need to do is either Google my name or, or Google the cat I never named, and they'll be able to find Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, or, or any other retailer where they can purchase it. Um, in terms of reaching out to me, they can find me on Twitter at Amra Sabic PhD. They can also find me on Instagram at Amra Sabic El Reyes and on Facebook at Amra Sabic El Reyes. And I love hearing from people who have read the book um, and who, um, who love the story. So I will try to respond and connect. I am truly truly grateful that we hopped on this call. Mm -hmm. I was, um, you know, I guess in a sense, I felt um, not um, just not intimidated, but just the the topic is just so heavy mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, especially because I have made it myself a point to to counter hate by the work that we do, not just, you know, through Bella, but on, on, a, on a personal level. And some days you like want to just check out because it's a lot uh, to to handle. It's a lot, but um, as you said, you know we we have a responsibility to each other as a human race to just speak up and talk about these things. So I am truly grateful for your honesty, for being so candid, for being so open with sharing with our audience. And I do hope that we get the opportunity to talk to you again because. Um, there's so much that we can all learn from you. So thank you so, so much for yes. joining us today. Uh, I look forward to reading your book and connecting with you as well online. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you both so much. And again, um, I, I do feel empathy, particularly for you, your little son. I don't know how old he is. And, and uh, he's 12 now. And, and trust me, it took, it took a minute to kind of get him over that whole hump and for him to realize that although this is happening um you know it just to give him a sense of security because for a while it was a little shaky like every day he would come home did they come to and it's just again it's shocking that it would reach to that point because i never thought it would come to my in, into my home and it did and it took me for a loop for sure so i completely can relate to you as well as a mother and understand just how difficult having those conversations are but again, they're necessary and we, we have, otherwise we're not going to get through this. And I'm hopeful that we will. We, we will. Um, and I, um, I again, um, want to reiterate that the stories that you choose to tell, given the voice and the platform you have, even the fashion that you represent. And if you want to ever include the Bosnian fashion designer, please do let me know. Oh my God, absolutely. I would, I would love to. Yeah. Please let me know. I would love to connect you because I do think that those kinds of images will counter those other alternative biases that it's exist. Funny in you say that because we are featuring our first Asian talent um, in our next cover. So I am making it a very intentional and proactive mission to not just talk the talk, but to also walk the walk when it comes to um, just kind of representation and really what that looks like in this industry, because it is so impactful across the board. We all look to fashion lifestyle publications to tell us where to get our next, you know, our, our next look. Um, and it's really even more impactful when you can kind of weave in 
these stories uh, that truly do matter uh, even more so. So I appreciate it. And I, I will take you up on that. You'll be hearing from Jen. <laughs> For sure. absolutely, absolutely do. Because as you said, representation matters and representation is not only happening in the classroom. Yeah. It happens in informal education or how I refer to all the other influencers outside of the school. And that is who you are. You are influencing the new generations, young people who are looking for inspiration for images of individuals that they want to be like for role models. And so what you do is essential and I am here to help you in every possible way that I can. And I am deeply grateful uh, to you for uh, giving me a voice. Thank you. I really yeah. do appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Have Bye. Bye-bye.